everyone. Welcome to episode number six of Ask Us Anything. I'm Mark Graven, the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services with Kinexus, and I'm joined by Greg Jacobson. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Greg Jacobson. I am the CEO and one of the two co-founders of Kinexus. Greg's also an ER doc, which is, I think, a, a doubly interesting part of his background and professional life. How I, here, so the first question, it wasn't one that anyone asked us, but people might be wondering, Greg, how do you balance running a startup company and being an ER doctor? How do you juggle that? Not well. Um, is that is that the it's your answer? Yeah. Like you were? No, it's it's funny. So fortunately, emergency medicine affords me the opportunity to um, really scale up and scale down my practice. So. I basically have found a really great group here in Austin, ESP Partners, and um, standing for Emergency Service Partners, and they allow me to work a couple shifts on the weekends. So now I'm doing two shifts one weekend over at the main tertiary downtown hospital seat in Maine, and then I'm heading one weekend to go out uh, in a more rural community. I'm just south of Bryan College Station in a place called Caldwell, Texas, and I'll do a 24-hour shift there. And so it really gives me a really great balance of um, some kind of inner city medicine and, and some tertiary care medicine, but as well as uh, really enjoyed working out in this rural hospital. I just did not, not realize how much I was going to enjoy that. And um, the folks are just really super helpful. That system is out, out of the St. Joseph system in um, Bryan College Station, which, by the way, is just doing great continuous improvement and, and great lean work. They, the CEO there was on the, um, the panel at the Lean Transformation Summit back in Dallas last year, throwing out props. Kinexus will also be present at the one this coming year up in Miami. I think that's what, the 14th and 15th? or uh, It's about June 15th, middle of June in Miami. Great, great two days of, of learning and sharing there. So if you haven't scheduled your conferences, um, other than the Kinexus conference, which will be in, in Austin in November, that would be one I would definitely put at the top of the list. So I think I'm doing a nice job balancing it. I sometimes don't look forward to the weekends where I'm, I'm having to work seven days. But as soon as I start practicing medicine, I always just the time just escapes and I love it. So. All right. So the first question that came in from the audience, Larry asks, given that there's proper support from upper management, what are the most common pitfalls that come with lean or continuous improvement? So maybe, maybe let me let me touch on that first. Um, I think it's great, it, even necessary to have upper management support for lean or continuous improvement or, or whichever of these methodologies. But a lot of it really lives or dies based on the habits, the behaviors of the frontline managers. So it really requires support, you know, uh, aligned support, common behaviors with different types of support from the executive level, from middle management, from frontline managers. So you could ask this question in any direction. If you have support from frontline managers, what are some of the pitfalls? It could be that executives aren't on board, that executives aren't supporting a continuous improvement culture. You, you really need everyone leading. Yeah, and I think that's great. And I'll, I'll add maybe a, a little bit more kind of spice to, to that answer. I think one of the things that we've learned a lot with working with 10X customers is one, there's really top-down work and then there's bottom-up work. 
I think if you look at any type of improvement work, you can probably categorize it in one of those. So when we're looking at organizations that have done a really great job with continuous improvement, as defined by everyone helping to improve the organization every day, what you find is the simpler you can keep the bottom-up work, the simpler you can make it to allow people at the front line to participate, the greater the chance that they're going to participate. What's interesting is, is we're trying to balance a lot of that top-down work as well in, in with, our, with our customers. So we, we've ended up um, um, kind of in this rock and a hard place sometimes because as we're engaging with the new customer, they obviously have realized the benefit of managing this stuff electronically. They have a lot of really complex top-down type of stuff. And um, trying to kind of balance that in one environment where you can even let frontline staff participate in the top-down stuff um, is, is what makes our job really challenging and one of the things that we love about it. But um, take home, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. So there's a question uh, that comes from Heike. Um, Heike, um, hope I'm saying the name correctly, I'll keep saying it until I do. Um, how do you find the optimal balance between flow efficiency and resource efficiency? So let, let, let me touch on that first, um, both maybe historically and, and current day. So resource efficiency, we talk about efficiency, we're usually talking about you know the, the utilization rate of a person or a machine. Uh, traditionally, organizations have really focused on high utilization of resources. Keep every machine busy, keep every person busy. This is often driven by cost accounting measures and, and just traditional mindsets where managers don't wanna see people not doing something because they think we're paying for people, we're paying for equipment. We gotta keep it running to make it worth its while. But there, there's false economies with that. You know, if you keep a machine running in manufacturing just to keep it utilized, you end up building up inventory. You might be building waste, you're gonna have quality problems, overproduction, lots of wasted motion. So one of the key insights of Lean is the idea what really matters more is flow efficiency. How are products or patients in a hospital flowing through the process? And as an industrial engineer, uh, we, we're taught when you look at something called queuing theory, looking at flow through systems, if you insist on resources being 100% utilized or even 90% utilized, flow almost grinds to a halt. So there, there are trade-offs uh, and, and Lean tends to focus more on flow efficiency. And so, you know, I think we look in healthcare settings, that's a lesson uh, for Lean in healthcare. Look across the value stream and you know, there may be a time when the best thing for flow is to have some excess capacity, which means people or machines might be idle. And that, that freaks people out because it's easier to see a machine or a person not working than it is sometimes to see the bad flow. So Lean definitely puts the emphasis more on flow efficiency than resource utilization. It's an interesting question. Can you can you repeat? I just want to make sure I understood the nuance. Can you repeat the question mark? Well, so they, they do elaborate. So the the optimal. How do you find the balance? And and so maybe I, I'm saying I, maybe you know the balance is more toward flow efficiency. But you know, said maximizing the flow, which may lead may require lower resource utilization, or maximizing resource utilization, which may lead to bad flow. Right. Right. So, I immediately was thinking about the emergency department because that's a, a major issue we have in the emergency department because you cannot schedule 
patients. Although there are some products and services out there that do allow you to schedule um, an appointment at an emergency department where you can, you know, um, th there's one that's being used uh, by, by, by Seton here. And you can kind of see a little bit, kind of guarantee a um, being able to be seen by a doctor within a certain period of time. But I, I always really struggle with that in the emergency department because if you, if you have tons of people there working, then oftentimes people are going to be sitting around because patients are coming through the door. And then all of a sudden there's a spike at an unexpected you know, time. So I guess I would probably add two things. One, it goes to the question that Mark answered before. It's really the middle manager or that frontline manager's habits are key to driving continuous improvement. Okay, so why am I bringing that up now? Because in an emergency department, if we're going to use this as an example, and I think you could probably apply this to, to any type of a company. I'm just doing the emergency because I'm an ER doc. Yeah. That's a great time when things slow down to, to go to the idea board, to yes. open up iNexus, to, to take a look, get people's feedback, and to, to sift through some of the improvements that they're going um, with. And so just keep that in mind that there's great ways to, to utilize your talent, your, your frontline folks versus just sending them home early. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me, let me touch on that point real quick. Sorry. So, you know, I hear people complain all the time in emergency departments when people, when leaders are chasing resource utilization, labor productivity, um, they'll say, okay, we have a lull in the ED. We send people home and then sure enough, bam, here comes an unanticipated spike in demand right. and they're scrambling to call people back in. What you propose is the lean alternative. When you have downtime, use that for process improvement, Kaizen, education, instead of just trying to chase labor productivity every hour. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you look at what Toyota does, if their line goes down, they never send people home early. Now, are they wasting money? No, they're investing, they're using that time wisely. And that's, I think, a great lesson that hospitals could learn. And so I think I'm going to, Make one more point on this and then we can move on. Unrelated to the first observation that we just discussed, um, one of my mentors would, had, a, had a saying that he would say frequently, and, and it's something that I practice with, but, but err in the way that the patient suffers the least. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so what is that really saying? It's really saying, what is the mission of your company? What is the mission of your work? and make sure that whatever decision, whether it's resource, you know, or whether it's um, um, flow, whatever is going to drive the, um, the principle of why you're there better, err in that way. So for, for us, if I was going to say, well, I don't, want, um, I don't want a person that's having a heart attack sitting out in a waiting room, Right. Well, then I'm probably going to go ahead and err toward overstaffing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm using the word over with quotes, you know, staffing with ways that would protect being able to see patients quicker versus erring in the other way. So figure right. out what's the core competency or core mission for your company and then make a decision that errs in a way to support that core competency. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, perfect scenario in the ED, the one example, and we'll, we'll move on to another question I think of is the fire department and, and EMS, 
we don't expect fire departments to be putting out fires 100% of the time. We need, you could call it overstaffing, I could call it, you could call it flex capacity or surge capacity, or it's just, you know, capacity. Um, you know, uh, there, there's more to life than just keeping everything 100% utilized. Um, we had another question that came in, uh, lost track of who this was from. What roles within the organization are most critical to spread a culture of continuous improvement? Greg, do you want to share some thoughts on that first, maybe? Sure. And, and not to be flippant about this, but I think every role is, right? I think that that continuous improvement culture inherently means that everyone is working in their appropriate role to do that. So, right, so you have the frontline person is engaged, understands what their um, strategic principles of the organization are. They are putting ideas up. They're participating in the implementation and completion of those improvements. You have a middle management that is working on creating a daily habit of discussing, of problem solving, of enabling. You have a process improvement team that is making sure that the that the middle management is um, well-educated and has a clear path of, of what they're trying to do. And then you have senior leaders that are, you know, giving us a vision to say, this is how we're going to get better in the next day, week, month, year, decade. Mm -hmm. So I really think that, um, that the answer is, is everyone has got to be optimizing. It's kind of like saying, well, what, what person in a football team or in a basketball team is the most important? Well, they're all, because if someone doesn't do their job, then the team isn't going to win. So. Yeah. And, you know, there's all these different roles, and people often ask about the role of a continuous improvement department. I, I was trying to emphasize, um, maybe this sounds obvious to the viewers, um, the, the role of the continuous improvement department is not to come up with all of the ideas and to drive all the improvement. I think the role of the continuous improvement department is to teach methodologies, to coach people, maybe to help track results, things that are more around education and administration as opposed to actually doing improvement. And, and there's some people get kind of caught in the trap of being brought in, hey, I want you to come in and fix that problem for me, instead of being brought in as more of a consultative uh, coach uh, in the organization. So, so just, mm -hmm. we're working with a customer right now and um, they, there was another question I think that came through. We might get into it today or in a future episode, Mark, about engagement. How do you measure engagement? And um, we have particular ways that we measure it with our customers, and, and the product helps define that. But um, this this customer's engagement scores are absolutely through the roof. You know, and, and I think she's doing just an amazing job um, at her job. I can guarantee you that her time on actual doing improvement work is a very small percentage and that she's focusing on being a coach and getting giving energy into the system yes. of all of the people that she is leading in through the continuous improvement effort. Yeah. So that then that's a great Toyotaism. The the role of leaders is to add energy to the system. I've heard that um, from Gary Congress, who used to be at Toyota. But I was going to ask you to follow up uh, when you talk about uh, engagement scores are off the roof is uh, through the roof. Is that uh, through surveys, or is that through the data they see in Kinexus? Yeah, so in this case, it's a Kinexus customer. So we actually have um, a suite of reports that can give you real-time engagement um, insights. So some of the ones that we look at that we think are really important, and we're, we're constantly learning from our customers and adding more, but it's um, 
what is your number of improvements per person annualized? We love to see numbers above one and two. In fact, we have some customers that are above 10. And then what is the percent of engagement of people using the system? So we can actually, once you, you know, go out of the Excel spreadsheet into Kinexus, we can start running reports on, well, are people submitting ideas? Are they um, involved in a team? Are they uh, commenting on something? And you can immediately realize just by figuring out a, um, a user profile and figuring out, are they, are they logging into the system? you can all of a sudden get real quick insights into what true engagement is. And so those are some of the different types of engagement scores that, that or engagement insights that we can give in Kinexus. And then you can actually break that down into different locations and different departments. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of our, our for example, the, the one leader I was talking about, we have, we have dozens of those leaders that are, are doing great work. They'll actually really spend their times on places that their engagement scores are low. And, and they know that they need to add more energy into this part of the organization. Yeah. All right. So we had another question here from Ira, um, maybe more pointed at me as a industrial engineer, but it says lean initiatives can result in either raising or reducing the level of risk for ergonomic problems, musculoskeletal. Did I even say that right? Musculoskeletal. <laughs> musculoskeletal. Yeah. Musculoskeletal. Ask the doctor. Um, so they say, for example, doing, um, Better tool storage locations eliminates wasted awkward motions to reduce to retrieve tools, but reducing occasional wasteful walking to go get tools and supplies can remove a physiologically effective break from static standing or sitting at a workstation. Any comments on how lean and ergonomics can be applied together? So, you know, I started my career, I'm an industrial engineer. Even before GM was really embracing lean, I got sent to ergonomics training and a lot of the projects I worked on in support of the production team was to make, help make uh, ergonomic improvements to analyze jobs for ergonomics. And I think what we often see, I think in traditional manufacturing settings, you tend to see very static jobs, except for maybe like I said, I'm chasing parts, I'm running around and looking for tools. What I've seen in the lean environment, when you start breaking down, uh, instead of one person doing the same job all day long, you have more job rotation, which is good from an ergonomic standpoint. You, you might not be running around racing for tools, but people might tend to work in more of a cellular layout. So you, you're not just sitting, you're not just standing, you're, you're actually moving and, and staying kind of active, not overexerting yourself, but, but staying active. So I think what I've seen lean methods actually improve ergonomics, and that should be a key area of focus. Now, if you look at healthcare, Nurses, I'll use just for example, are on their feet all the time. Um, we, you know, I heard somebody the other day was talking about um, in their organization. They actually they were they were trying to increase the amount of walking around for the purposes of fitness. I'm like, well, all that shuffling around at work is not really exercise. It doesn't get your heart rate up. It just tires you. And so I think in lean healthcare, we're trying to reduce wasted motion and in most jobs you're you're never going to be fully stationary that's certainly not the goal so i think this is a really interesting question um and i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of dig into it a little bit so so it's recognizing that uh, that there can be positive side effects to waste essentially is what it's saying that perhaps if you make your job much more efficient you'll move less 
and and maybe that's the wrong thing to do. Um, one of the corollaries with um, um, the ER is abdominal pain is something we see a ton of, and it's actually really complicated. One of the things for abdominal pain that's really great for an ER doctor is to see a patient in time, to do multiple exams to see if things are progressing. So in some ways, you could argue that the inefficiencies of an ER, that the side effect for abdominal pain is that we actually get to see the patient for a little bit longer mm-hmm. versus, you know, kind of in, in and out, thank you, wham, bam, which might be great for like a broken arm where you're just like, oh, we can diagnose it, fix it, get them, you know, um, more comfortable yeah. and back out on the street. But um, what I would argue is is that, uh, that we should not in any way, um, because there's a positive benefit for something that's negative, mm-hmm. that's not a reason that we should not take care of the, um, the thing that we should be doing, which is yeah. eliminating waste. And to me, I would rather see someone say, hey, if, if really the job is uh, very stationary, then, then build in a, a five-minute period every hour where the person gets up, you know, does a lap or is, you know, you know, kind of moving the blood from their, from their legs. And, and, and I would say that the, the kind of exercise um, that really is going to help you physiologically, and I'm just reiterating what you reiterated, Mark, is the type that's really going to get your heart rate up. You're going to sweat, you know, get, get, go run, go, go to the, you know, workout place, go play some squash like I do. Um, that's a far better way to uh, to get some exercise than to build in or not fix inefficiencies in the system. <laughs> that's just, just to kind of follow up and kind of close out that last question that that I think probably there's a benefit to all kind of errors or inefficiencies or any situation that shouldn't have happened, there's probably a benefit to in some way. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do the right thing. Right. Like no, to your point, I think, like you're saying, not all motion is bad. I would say not all time in a chair for a patient is bad. I would say, you know, yeah, the, the goal is to reduce length of stay in the emergency department and to improve flow. Right. But I think there's intentional waiting versus unintentional preventable delay. So you, you, there may be times where, you know, say you, you look at in, in a lot of processes or I think about um, aging whiskey, Alan Wilson, um, uh, who, who's been a great advisor to uh, Kinexus and to Greg. He's Scottish, and he says, you know, the only time inventory is value-added, that time in inventory is value-added, is wine and whiskey. Because it's not just sitting, it's changing, it's transforming, it's getting better. And, you know, there are times where, let's say, I imagine you may have to uh, give a medication and wait to see the effect. That wait is arguably part of just a built-in part of the value-added time as opposed to being a preventable delay. We're not trying to push patients out too quickly. That would, uh, that would violate that principle you talked about earlier about what reduces suffering for the patient, pushing them out too quickly because we have some measure that we're trying to hit instead of doing the right thing for the patient. You know, that, that, that would, we wanna avoid that. I really like that question, Mark. That was a great question. All right, well, I think we can do a couple more questions. Um, here's a quick one, uh, interesting, from uh, Juma. Do you have some thoughts about job searching using lean principles? Um, and I think I haven't searched, I haven't changed jobs or searched for a job in a long time, but here, here's my first thought. I would, I would sort of try to, I would try to visually manage everything that was taking place. Because you can think of uh, applying for a job and getting interviewed and going through and maybe getting hired as a value stream. 
So I'm thinking of methods like personal Kanban, post-it notes on the wall, or use a Kanban system like LeanKit Kanban or Trello. And I would track where these different, think of it like a sales channel. You know, you're selling yourself to an organization. You, you have leads, you have opportunities. And I think visual management would help make sure you don't forget, you know, uh, to follow up on something. That would be one lean principle I would try to apply. There's going to be a lot of delays where you're waiting on the uh, the hiring organization, but I would try to use uh, visual management just to keep that that job search kind of in front of me and, and manage it that way. What are your thoughts, Greg? Well, my first thought is we're hiring at Kinexus. We're looking for a customer success person to work with all of our customers. We're kind of in a, an explosive time here. So that's my first thought. If you're interested in, um, in your presumably interested in living in Austin, our customer success team is based out of Austin. Uh, please, please reach out to us on our website. We have a, a form there. Kinexus.com. Kinexus.com. The, the second thing I would say is I, I think in, and it's something that, that we're doing here also um, on the kind of the other side of that, but every cycle that you're going through, every time that you finish an interview, um, you should kind of reflect and think, okay, what, what did I like about what I said? What did I not like? What could I do better in the next? And so I would, I would kind of not emphasize the tactical part that I think Mark did really well. I would simply emphasize, you know, your, your resume or your CV, um, don't, that's not a static document. You know, always be looking at it, um, sharing it with other people, getting feedback, and, and be iterative about what you're doing. Because, um, yeah. you know, that cycle, it, you could almost break it down into um, you know, a daily um, you know, cycle as, as you're going through all these different leads, if you will. Yeah. So the opportunity to apply continuous improvement practices. Yes. Um, and it was done very informally. I mean, I don't yeah. think when you're doing it by yourself, you don't need to log an opportunity for improvement in. You can just kind of do it and see what happens. Yeah. So, so here's a question from Christina. She works in healthcare. Um, when implementing a culture of improvement, how do you help people manage all of the activities and change that's going on, especially at the beginning? when there's a flood of ideas and you want to avoid change fatigue. Um, let, me, let me just make one comment. I, there may be a thing called change fatigue. I really have not seen improvement fatigue. So I think change fatigue to me, change tends to be more imposed on you by leaders or outside forces. That can get exhausting because I think there's kind of a, a lack of psychological uh, control over the situation. But just this past week, I was at um, Franciscan St. Francis Health System in Indianapolis. Um, my co-author, Joe Schwartz, from the Healthcare Kaizen book, that's his healthcare organization. They've implemented 27,000 improvements now since 2007. And when, when you talk to staff, you talk to managers, there, there's no such thing as improvement fatigue because it's their ideas solving problems that matter to them. And it creates this positive reinforcing cycle of improvement and recognition, and it makes your work easier and you want to do more. Um, so I, that's one way I would, I would maybe reframe the question. Uh, how do you shift from change uh, to improvement that instead of being done to people, it's something they're actively involved in. But what, what are your thoughts, Greg? Mark, you mind repeating the question? Because I heard one question and then I feel like you took a well, different angle. Well, so they're, they're, they're saying basically, you know, how do you manage all of the change? At the beginning, there tends to be a flood of ideas and you're trying to avoid change fatigue. Right. So you're really picking up on the, the, the word the change. change fatigue. I'm okay. going to pick up on the word manage. And, and I would be remiss 
if I didn't say that, you know, that is one of the primary things that people come to us at Kinexus to do um, in to, to manage all of the information. Um, we built a continuous improvement platform to do exactly that. Um, and I think that whether you're just starting out or whether you've been, you're, you're been doing this for, for years and are just buried in Excel spreadsheets and Word documents, I think we can provide provide value on that. But if you decide not to come and take a look at Kinexus, then my recommendation would be to, to, to make sure that it's done in a collaborative way, to make sure that it's done in a transparent way, and then just also just the simpler you can make it, the better. Yeah. Once one of the things that we're constantly recommending to our customers is to decrease the complexity of the system that you're you're trying to do continuous improvement in. Yeah, and one other point I would make when there's a flood of ideas coming in, I think one strategy to avoid burnout or uh, delays, you know, is to avoid resource utilization. That's 100%. Don't have all ideas flow to the manager for implementation. Don't have all ideas flow to a Kaizen coordinator for implementation. When you when you're asking people to point out problems and to solve problems, then you spread out the improvement work that helps eliminate bottlenecks, have everybody working on small improvements instead of trying to channel it all through one person. Easier said than done, but I think that's what you need to do. Great. All right. So, well, that is our 30 minutes here. It always goes so quickly. We uh, addressed a number of great questions today. I think we'll do another one of these in May, episode seven. Um, we'll sign, uh, if you're following me, through Blab, you'll get notified. I would encourage you to follow us through Kinexus. Go to kinexus.com slash webinars. You can sign up for our newsletter and we'll let you know about these future sessions and the other uh, recordings uh, are all on uh, on YouTube. So thank you for joining us, Greg. Do you have a, a final thought to wrap up? We have some very exciting stuff going on our website that will likely either be coming out at the end of this week or the beginning of next week. So. If you haven't been to our website in a while, um, please come check it out because you're, you're going to be blown away in, in, in about a couple of days. We're going to be doing something very exciting. The, That's big, awesome. the big teaser. And I'll, and I'll plug one more thing. Um, we're doing a more traditional webinar on Tuesday, April 19th with Michael Lombard talking about lean management systems in healthcare and how they've been incorporating the use of Kinexus software into that. So uh, again, go to kinexus.com slash webinars for more information and to sign up for that. So that is going to be a absolute fantastic webinar. Michael Lombard is doing some amazing things at, at Cornerstone and he's going to talk a little bit about, about what they're doing. Truly, I think creating a exemplary um, environment, if you will. So I, I would highly, we're all going to be sitting in on that webinar because yeah. it's just some really exciting stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And thanks for watching uh, the recording if you're seeing it later. Greg, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye.